You are listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon by Pastor Terry Riley, titled Peace Through Life, from the series Character Counts. For more info, please visit creekside.org. Have a great day. Peace. That's just a great word, isn't it? I love the word peace. I love having peace. Uh, the, the Hebrews, the Jewish people, uh, they had another word for it that we, we get our word peace from. It was called shalom. In the ancient world, it was a common way that Jewish people would greet one another. Walking down the street, they would say shalom. And it didn't mean like, hey, peace, you know, love child, like we had back in the 60s and 70s or anything like that. It, it didn't mean just peace, but it had a much richer term. And it was really the idea of having order and well-being. I, I wish there would be no conflict in your life, that your, your inner person and your life would be well-ordered. It would have well-being. There would be prosperity in your inner person. And as we've talked about all of these fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5, really all of these things are an inward work that God wants to establish so that it isn't based on what's going on around us. As a matter of fact, when mommies and daddies would put their children to bed, the last thing they would say as they walked out the door was, Shalom, my son. Shalom, my daughter. And what they were just saying is almost like a prayer over them that there would be this inner peace and there would be this grace of God that would invade them. See, when societies under, really understand the horror and the conflict of war and you know, there's so many, uh, so many nations that have lived in violence for decades or centuries, they really begin to understand the power and the joy and this concept of peace and the importance of it and how everybody really does need it. I want to uh, read from Isaiah chapter 48 this morning and just kind of as a springboard, there's so many scriptures on peace, but I really love this one. Isaiah chapter 48, beginning at verse 17, says this. He's writing to his people who, uh, they're in captivity, and and he, he wants them to know what's going on and why. We have a culture and a society today where so many people are in captivity. They're in bondage to addictions and to things around this, just part of our culture. Idolatry, all of these negative bondages. And so the Lord's writing to his people and trying to help them understand why. And he says, well, this is what the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel says. I'm the Lord, your God. Now, notice the things that he does. He says, I'm the one who teaches you. Why does he teach them? He says, for your benefit. I'm going to lead you in the way that you should go. And then there's this resonant tone that's almost a regretful sound to it. He says, ah. If only you had paid attention to my commands, then your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. See, from the beginning of time, from Adam and Eve until the end of time, where we're going to, the culmination that we see in, in Revelation, you know, what the, you know what the greatest lie of the enemy of your soul is? Is that God is out to condemn you and to restrict you from the things that you want to do. That's what he does to mankind when, in fact, the whole purpose of what God is doing and why he does it while he gives us these guardrails that are totally built around grace, it's really for this purpose, that he says, 
I give you these precepts. I give you these commands because I want you to know the purposes that I have for your wife. I want you to experience the prosperity and the peace that I can bring to your wife. And so many people want peace. I want to just for a moment read a number of peace scriptures. Just kind of let it wash over your soul and your mind and your thinking as we go into it today. And these will reappear at different points during the talk. But you can close your eyes. You can put your head down. You can fall asleep. Don't snore. But whatever you want. I just want to read a few of these. So just kind of just kind of follow along in your mind. And number six says this. Obviously, this is not an exhaustive list. I could probably take a whole service and just read incredible scriptures of peace. But I took some of my favorite. Number six says this. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and to be gracious towards you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Isaiah 9, when the the announcement, the proclamation come of the coming Messiah, it says, he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting Father, and say it with me, Prince of Peace. When When Jesus arrived, the angels burst out in this angelic choir singing glory to God in the highest on earth. Peace to men upon whom his favor, his grace rests. Jesus said in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. A couple of chapters later as he's talking to his followers, he said, I have told you these things. Why? So that you might have peace. Ephesians 2.14 says, For he himself is our peace, who has broken down every wall. He's removed every point of hostility between mankind and the Father so that we could experience peace with God. Romans 5.1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we, you, me, can have peace with God. Colossians 3.15, let the peace of God rule in your heart. 2 Thessalonians 3.16 says, now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. Doesn't that just kind of give you that peaceful, easy feeling, you know, as you hear all that? I just, you know, I just, ah, that's enough. We could go home. But I could go on, friends, because God's preferred state for every living person, for our whole world, is that we would have this peace and it would rule and reign in ourselves. Because the truth is, we understand that the more it rules and reigns in the individual, what's going to happen? It's going to begin to have influence in concentric circles that move out, and we're going to get to experience that peace wherever we go. But I know, my life included, but especially those who are Christ followers and those who are far from God, There's so many that struggle with experiencing just a a sense of peace that really reigns in their life and rules in their heart. Many experience this restlessness. And why does that happen? Well, I think it's due to this thing called peace opponents. What's an opponent? It's something that, that, that fights against you. It's something that pushes on you. It's something that wants to take victory and dominion over you. But I want you to know that you can learn to fend these opponents off. But we get so busy, it's, it's really hard to do that at times. 
But you can learn to do this, and I want to get into that in a few minutes. But first, I want to identify some of the common everyday peace opponents that probably we face. And obviously, there's going to be others that some of you might even be facing right now. But let me just kind of run you through a few. How about unexpected news? You can be just kind of cruising along, and everything's peaceful. The waters are tranquil, and then you get a telephone call. Or you get an email with an urgent sign next to it. You get a knock on the door. You get a pink slip at your office or your place of work. You get a medical report, and all of a sudden, the serene waters uh, turn into very surreal waves of anxiety, and there's no peace because your peace has been attacked by this opponent called unexpected bad news. How do you hang on to peace? How do you live with a sense of shalom? Inner quality where your life is ordered when these things come. Here's another opponent. It's a big one, relational breakdowns. Not unusual for me to walk this campus. It's not unusual for me to be talking, just, just walking around during the week on a Sunday and somebody will, PT, can I just talk to you for a second? And you can see the, some of the anguish that begins to come over their face as they tell me about a spouse that told them that they're leaving. Or maybe they're talking about a child that has rebelled, a loved one who's addicted to some kind of substance that's now wreaking havoc in their home. You can't listen without clearly seeing just the lack of peace or the peace breakdown that this peace opponent has brought to their life, to their family. All of us at some point experience these relational family breakdowns all over. How does a household and how does a person apprehend and hang on to this, this sense of peace and shalom. How about another one? Financial issues, financial pressure. I know a lot of people who started their adult journey. They lived within their means. They made wise financial choices. They honored God with their 10% of their earnings. They managed their money God's way and they lived with incredible peace. But then something happened. Maybe it was stock market. It takes a big dip, 2008, and it began to change and reconfigure their retirement. Maybe, <coughs> excuse me, maybe there's a loss of employment. Maybe there's a medical emergency that comes for others. They just got carried away, you know, with credit cards. They started spending, living beyond their means. And so now their whole life, for months, every month it's just how can I fend off the bill collectors? How can, I keep my, how can I keep my nose above the financial waterline because of the decisions that they made? How do you keep peace in the midst of that? Maybe for some of us, we've crossed a moral boundary. If you've done this, you understand the sense of restlessness and remorse and guilt and shame that can so quickly hound your soul. You know the drill. You fall into a certain temptation. You cross that moral boundary. You felt bad before God and your consciousness just feels stained and it feels dirty. You feel separated and filled with anxiety and shame and you confess it to God. And what do you say? Oh God, this isn't going to happen again. I'm going to do my best to live in your power and to live in your word to change my ways. But here's the deal. People who get in these predicaments, they oftentimes live lives of desperation because they want this one person and they begin to believe that to keep this one person, well, they've got to cross the moral boundary again maybe. So they find themselves in the wrong place. 
at the wrong time. And what do they do? They do a swan dive right back into the same routine. And now you're more disappointed. You're more upset. You're more mad at yourself. This whole notion of shalom, this whole notion of peace, I mean, it just can't be found because in your heart and your mind, you're hiding. You're keeping these secrets. You go, how do I live? How can I experience shalom in that kind of a setting? And then finally, there's another one. That moment in your life when you realize your own mortality. For some of us, it hits us at different times. This hit me when a junior high, uh, junior high student in my youth group, I believe it was about 1984, 1985, I was probably only 25 or 26. She decided that she wanted to end her life. She was new to Lodi, new to the church, beautiful girl. She was a model even as a junior higher. She did some modeling. And she had some relational difficulties with students in her new school and her new setting. And so what she did, she set herself to commit suicide. The thing is, she really didn't want to. The day before, she'd written letters to her friends telling her what she was going to do, how she was going to do it, when she was going to do it. Then she took some pills out of her mother's medicine cabinet, and right after she did it, she called some friends, said, hey, this is what I've done, and they kind of poo-pooed it. He really didn't want to die. I don't know all the medical issues involved, but there were some heart pills that she took of her mother's that were prescription. And in the process of trying to pump them out and get them up, it kind of exacerbated the problem. So there was this real touch-and-go time to see if they were going to be able to get them out in time and without the process exacerbating what was taking place. Well, I got called and I got to go in and She's here in the uh, intensive care unit and got all these tubes going out of her and this beautiful girl, her, she's turning black and blue. Her mom and daddy are in there and I pray over her and pray with them and it, and, and it just it hit me like a two bore, like a two by four just alongside the head. This is how it ends. And this young girl ended up dying. And what hit me is that not that everybody ends this way, but it is a reality. It's the first person that I'd seen die. And some of you are sitting here thinking, boy, can we get to some peace stuff? Well, here's the deal. This is a great robber of peace. This is an incredible opponent of peace in our life. I've been with a number of Creeksiders when they pass. There's no escaping this, this, this final transition from life to life. One of the long-time people in this church a few years ago told me, you know, there's going to come a time there, TR, when you start reading the obituaries. It's funny, I remember that because about in the last year I've started reading the obituaries. I don't even know why. I mean, I was thinking, oh, maybe I'll do one of these funerals because, you know, our church gets called on a lot to, to do funerals. And so I just, how many are in Martinez, Pleasant Hill? And, um, <clears throat> but I was reading them. You know what I'm realizing? There's a lot of people younger than me that are passing. And there's a reality to that. And if you're not careful, that whole idea of transitioning from life, from this life to another life, man, there's a reality to it. Some of us are in our fourth quarter. There's not a lot of timeouts left. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's coming. Much faster than we ever assumed. You know what? We all die. 
And sometimes we just need to be reminded of that, have our cages rattled, that it's coming. And we need to be ready and we need to prepare. And when you begin to think of that, some of us have some significant physical issues that we deal with. And we think, wow, if this continues like it is, what's going to happen? And you go, how can I keep my shalom? How can I keep this inner peace? How can I keep this rule and reign of God in the process? This morning I came to my office and this was on my desk because somebody had placed it in front of my door. Unsigned, no writing on, but it was typed. Probably a number of people know that you got love, you got joy. This Sunday is going to be peace. This is what someone typed to me. I'm homesick, I'm homesick for a place that I've never known where pain, despair, hurt, and fear have no room to grow. I'm homesick for peace found in your arms where my very heart can be mended. To you I call out and I wait on your word. <clears throat> Forced to bear heartache and burdened with brokenness, I cry out in hopes that I may hear your voice. Calm, loving, healing in all ways, but God, I cannot. No, not on this day. My burdens are great, and while foolish I know, I feel too consumed as my history unfolds. Seared and scared, my, soul's wreath, my soul wreathes in anguish. I do not know peace. Lord, where is my vengeance? I, would, I don't want to diminish this at all. This person could be sitting here, could have been in the last service, I don't know. There's kind of a despair if this isn't just poetry that they wrote, but if it's really coming from their heart and what they're presently experiencing, they don't have peace, obviously. And here's the deal, loved ones, as I talk about this. We, we Sometimes we get this idea that because we're Christians or we're Christ followers or we serve this God that we're just, you know, like everything should be good and everything should be worked out. And that is this prosperity gospel that is, that is just not good. You can't read the Bible without seeing all of the people who followed Jesus, all of the people in the Old Testament who followed God, who didn't experience severe difficulties. And listen, I don't want it to be a negative religion where nobody goes, well, boy, who wants to follow that? But the truth is, Jesus said, I give you peace. Oh, no, no, not as the world gives, but I'm going to give you a, a real peace. Because Jesus says, listen, in this world, you're going to have trials. You're going to have tribulations. And you're going to have to suffer. And as we often say, listen, when those things get distribu distributed, when it hits the fan, they don't get distributed evenly. And in this church, I've seen a lot of people that, man, they just got a truckload of stuff. And there's many that just don't seem to get very much. I don't know. I can't answer that. That's part of what, what, what the, part of the sovereign thing of God. Some of us can connect the dots and we can say, well, I brought that on myself. But we have to realize God owes us nothing. He says, I'm going to give you the ability to love, to have joy, to experience peace, to become more patient, to be kind, and all of these things. And I say this a lot, and you, you have to know this, you have to understand this. God never promises to deliver us from anything except this life. 
What he promised us is that his presence will go with us. He may not take us around. He may not take us under. He may not take us over, but he will give us the promise of his presence and a guided tour through it. And sometimes that's the best we got. But that's a whole lot more than a lot of people in this world get. And that's why this thing on peace becomes so important so that we understand it, that it's not based on what we get out here or what we think God owes us, but it's just the way life goes. Because many peace opponents are all around us. So what are you going to do? Many bail on this because of their expectations on God. And they, either they bail or they say, well, I'll just live with this low grade of restlessness and anxiety. What else can I do? But the Bible would teach us that we can live in peace despite all these peace opponents. We had our men's golf tournament yesterday, and I was fortunate. I figure I'll sneak this in, that I got to play on the winning teams since it hasn't happened for years. And it's not because of me. It's because I was with some players who really elevated our team and made us better. I got to be the recipient of the winning team, and it reminded me, you know what? It's not about me getting this peace and experiencing it here. It's the same when it comes to defeating peace opponents as well. We need someone better. We need someone stronger. And I'm learning like never before. I don't know why it takes so long or why I always have to keep revisiting all of these lessons, but like never before, I understand, listen, I am on God's team. And I have to have him. I have to pursue him. I have to experience his life so that I can be a person of greater love, greater joy, and to experience peace because he's the God of peace. He's the prince of peace. So I want to get a little bit practical. I want to talk about taking on these opponents that we face because some of you today, you've been cruising in your life and all of a sudden you've been sideswiped, rear-ended by one of these opponents. So what do we do? First thing I want you to do is I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 because Paul gives us a little insight here. What Paul says is I want you to push the pause button. To use another athletic metaphor, he says, I want you to use, I want you to call a timeout. Paul is talking to the church of Corinth. He's talking to God's people. And they've been attacking him. He doesn't have a lot of peace. He's not experiencing peace because these people are attacking him as apostle. Uh, it would be like if there's just a whole group of people that started putting me down and attacking me. This is what he's experiencing. So he's writing to them, and he says, listen, you can attack me all you want, but here's the deal. He says in verse 3 of chapter 10 of 2 Corinthians, for although we are walking in the flesh, we do not wage war in a fleshly way. He's saying, listen, you wanna, you're, you're, you're kind of coming at me human to human. Here's what I want you to know. I'm not going to fight that way. Because this isn't a battle about the flesh, about you and me. This is a spiritual issue. He says, we're not going to wage war in a fleshly way. Since the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, not of this world, but they are powerful through God. See, that's where we get our power. It's through God. It's not because we white knuckle. It's not because we try harder. It's because we come and we, well, we're grafted in to the vine of Christ. And he says, when this happens through the power of God, it will demolish strongholds. And then Paul says, you know what? 
in the spiritual realm, I'm going to demolish arguments. And every high-minded thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God. Notice what's taking, he's talking about the knowledge of God. What's the knowledge of God? It's, it's, it's growing in our understanding of who God is. It's growing in this word. And he says, every high-minded thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, this argument that says this isn't right about God, we're going to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I love that. He says, we're going to take a time out here. We're going to pause. We're going to set the record straight on how this is going to happen. I'm not experiencing peace. You're not. But we're going to do this. You ever watch basketball games? Don't you love what the Warriors are doing? I cannot, yeah, I, I couldn't believe that they were going to be able to do this a second year in a row. I don't know if you watched the game the other night. They ended up losing, but they're playing the Houston Rockets in a four out of seven playoff series. Now, the Rockets, what they did was, is they ran off like three, four, five baskets in a row. What's the first thing that happens? Steve Kerr calls a timeout because very quickly the momentum shifted from the Rockets, uh, from the Warriors' favor into the Rockets' favor. So this, this sudden momentum shift, he wants to stop, and he calls a timeout, and he calls his team around him, and they have this huddle because he doesn't want the game to get away from them. Now, there's the same concept in our spiritual life. Everything in our life, you know, it's, it's moving along, and all of a sudden, one of these peace opponents enters into it. It could be the moment that you get some bad news. It could be this terrifying thing that threatens to attack. What happens? Well, we begin to get these terrible thoughts that flood our minds. We begin to imagine worst-case scenarios. You ever do that? You start catastrophizing. You know, well, okay, this is the word. Oh, my. And all of a sudden, we jump. Now, don't point out your spouse. I just saw a few people do that. <laughs> but Paul would say, listen, when these opponents come in, Push the pause button. Call a time out. Because he says here, this is what's happening. He says, I want you to take these thoughts. These thoughts are those, it's really kind of this fractional thing that comes into your thinking. What do you mean? Let me give you an example. <coughs> Excuse me. If you're married, I'm sure that this has probably happened to you at least once. If you've been married for just about any time, you're in, these, this, in this disagreement, maybe a fight, and you're going at it. Have you ever known how quickly you can catastrophize this whole thing? For instance, you can be divorced, divvy up the home, divvy up the retirement, divvy up the kids, who's going to get what car, who's going to do this, literally have that going on in your mind while this person, this loved one, is talking to you, and in a nanosecond. You ever notice that? See, that's what the enemy does. He, and it's called these fiery darts. It's these thoughts. Have you ever done that? Yeah. Well, what happens then... Paul says, you've got to take control of those thoughts because your thoughts lead to actions. Now, see, what happens is, is that that fiery dart, that thing that the enemy throws your way, and he's got you thinking about, you can divvy this thing up, man, and faster than any lawyer could ever do it. 
Now it turns into an imagination. It moves into the, to the development of the dividing of all the property to, well, who would I like to marry? <laughs> you know? Well, I could see this marriage within two years, and we could live happily, happily ever after, have our, a new family, new dog, get a new bow, and you know, and you, you see what I'm saying? And you start imagining that. And the problem with that is, is then that begins to take root. And you know what? That's going to be a peace buster. What is Paul saying here? He says, you've got to take those stinking thoughts captive. And you've got to demolish them. Because those are the very things. And you can take any illustration in life, your job, whatever. And that thing, you can begin to imagine it, and you can catastrophize it to the end. And what happens is, is those imaginations is kind of this picture. Have you ever seen a, a, a tennis match? Watch the, it's fun to watch tennis people, because uh, fans, because they just go, <laughs> you know? And, and this is what happens in our mind. Do it. Yeah, you can do it. Ah, you better not do it. Don't do it. Yeah, do, do it. You know? and, and you just go back and forth. And what does that do? It begins to, the idea here is it begins to wear you down. And then you begin to no longer have any peace. What's the key? See, you can't let a peace opponent Whatever area in your life it is, come in, come flooding in and gain a foothold in your mind and your heart. Because if you do, you'll get into this match and it will begin to wear you down and it will, it will remove all peace from your heart and your mind. So what's the next step? How do you cast those thoughts down? How do you take those imaginations captive? It's the scriptures. The scriptures teach us to focus our minds on what we know is true from the teachings of scripture about the goodness of God, the providence and the power of God. But too many of us really don't know that. We hear so much about the goodies of God that that's what we think we should always get instead of understanding this whole process of what God will do for us and take us through and understanding that the character and person of God, he didn't promise us a rose garden. He promised us roses which have these beautiful flowers, but these very sharp little stickers on them. And in life, we get both of those. So his ability is to come to us and to give us peace. Now, if I go back to this basketball analogy, what does Kerr do? He sees the game is getting out of hand. It's getting out of control. It's slipping away. So what does he do? He calls this timeout, and he gathers his team around him on this sideline, and they're intently listening. And he infuses them with positive truths about their next steps and their plans. He says, guys, listen, this game isn't over. We're in it. We can turn this thing around. This is what you're going to have to do to make it happen. So he says, take a deep breath. Get control. Grab some Gatorade. We're in it to win it. But when a peace opponent presses you, call a timeout. I'm not going to let my thoughts run away from me. I'm not going to let this stuff take me captive by filling my mind and soul with bad things, but I'm going to let my mind and my soul be filled with the truths that I know God has said. That's, hear me, that's why I'm really trying to infuse us, to encourage us, challenge us with this scripture memorization. Paul said to discipline yourself unto godliness. 
But we get to this place in life where we just say, you know, I really don't want to work at it. So I'll just white knuckle it. And then we wonder why we don't have any peace because we don't follow and engage in what God's process is. During the recent season, I've, had a, I've really had a hard time hanging on to my personal peace and shalom. I probably felt more pressure last fall and in this last season of ministry than I felt in a long, long time. And I couldn't even put my finger on it. But I know Trina noticed it. I know our staff noticed it. And I'm sure you noticed it at times. But there was just this, this, this full-court press of pressure. Probably most of it was self-induced. That's why I had to change my game plan. And I told you about the last two months, what I'm doing is I'm taking the book of Colossians chapter 3, and I'm reading it every day. And I have to tell you, it's been a colossal game changer for my peace, for my joy. Because as I read it, probably what, 45 times now, I am reminded to set my mind on things that are in heaven where Christ is. Get your thoughts off of earthly things. If you want to experience what Christ wants for me, think where he is. Put my mind up there on the things that he has said. It's been a game changer for me in the last couple of months. And that's why I'm bringing it to you. But some, well, you know, well, that'll work for you, PT. It takes me two minutes to read that chapter. Some of us need to take some timeouts and infuse our lives with some spiritual, scriptural Gatorade. Here's the things that I'm, I just say to myself. If God is for me, who can be against me? That builds me up. It's like I'm on the sideline. Come on, TR. It doesn't matter who's, to what opponent comes. You can do it. All things work together for good for those who are in Christ Jesus who have been called and they love him. Well, that sounds like me. I know I'm loved. I know I love him, and I know I'm called. I can get through this. See, if, if, if I was to take my life, friends, this is not a complaint at all. I love this. But probably in a month's period, there are more things that, that come across my desk, and I emotionally absorb, than if you were to ask me at 23 if I'd ever face this kind of stuff, I would have thought, I probably wouldn't face that kind of stuff in a lifetime. And when you're an emotional, passionate person like I am, if you don't learn to navigate those in the presence of God, man, it can just, it can cut you down. That's why sometimes I just sit at my desk and I go, okay. <laughs> Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, Isaiah 26.3. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. I ain't that strong. And sometimes I think I am, and that's where I get into trouble. So I take a time out. Another Creeksider friend recently told me we were out, and he says, PT, thanks for just sharing that about the, you know, the chapter a day. He says, man, I've, just been, I've been getting oppressed, full court press at work, and guess what I did? I'm experiencing some significant trials, so I'm, I, I took your advice. And he says, I'm about three weeks into this, this reading, one chapter every day. I took on James 1, where it talks about trials and tribulations and how to face it. And he says, it's just given me such great insight. 
See, here, here it is, loved ones. You've got to know this. See, your situation might not change immediately. Or hear this. It might not change ever. But it can change you and your perspective. What you get to do is you get to declare in your faith the power and the goodness of God, no matter what you're facing, what you're going through as you walk into an uncertain future. I'm not teaching you some kind of clever how-to, but I want to give you spiritual practices that I have to utilize weekly, monthly, yearly, oftentimes change them around and come back to them as a leader, as a Christ follower, as a husband, as a father. We have to learn to get beyond where we are. And it's the old saying, if what, if, 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 if what you're doing isn't working, but you keep doing it, that's insanity. That's spiritual insanity if you don't press yourself to grow in the life and the heart and the things of God and to get beyond where you are because some of you live with anxiety and a low grade of restlessness. That is not God's preferred state for every one of, any one of us. That's why I read all those scriptures at the beginning because I wanted you to see the character and the heart of God for every one of us that he says, I want you to have peace. I want you to experience it. Friends, that's something we have to do. Let me just give you a truth that I think will really help you. Some of you are in situations today, or some of us are going to face them soon. You know what? They're not going to get resolved soon. Some of the messes and the storms of your life that you're up against right now because of the nature of them, they're not, they're not going to get resolved in the next 24 hours. They may not get resolved in the next 24 days. So here's the question. How are you going to live between now and that time? The possible point of resolve or maybe no resolve. How are you going to live each day to be able to apprehend and to engage this peace of God? Here's what I believe we get to do. We've got to drive a stake in the ground each day that says, I believe in the power and the goodness of God. And instead of imagining and catastrophizing, I'm going to replace those thoughts. I'm going to destroy and demolish and pull all of those thoughts down. How? I'm going to begin to imagine God's grace working in them, God's grace working through them, and his sovereignty. I'm going to begin to see the best case scenario that can work out because God is in it. I'm going to have a faith-based optimism. Because I can trust God. And I know God is with me. I know God is for me. And if the circumstances of the situations declare otherwise, and you don't see a change, you can cross that bridge when you get there. But for now, today, to now, I'm going to say, God, I see you in this. Friends, that's something you get to do. God doesn't just put a chip in you and make it happen. You've got to apprehend him. You've got to be the branch connected to the vine. There's three experiences of peace. Let me just fly through them really quick. There's some here today. You've never had a foundational peace of having this peace with God because you've never opened your door to Christ. You've never experienced the peace and power of sins forgiven, 
of apprehending what Christ did on the cross. Romans 5, 1 says, having been justified, brought into a relationship with the living God, you can have peace with God. It's a peace knowing God will never leave you or forsake you. And I want you to know, we pray often for people to come to Christ, people to come to our church and get to know this living God, that they start this journey with God, and they begin to then experience this peace that passes all human understanding, all ability to comprehend. Ephesians 2.14 says that he's our peace. He's broken down every wall. And all, all access to the Father is now open to every person that receives him. That's our spiritual peace with God. And then there's this emotional, the peace of God. Philippians 4.7 says that the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension. We don't understand it. We don't get it. It doesn't make sense. But there's this peace that guards our hearts and our minds. And the idea is, there of a, is of a century that is literally just taking guard around our heart and our mind. What does a century do? It sees something and it goes and reports it. So we've got this mind. We've got this guard that's going around us. And it's reporting to the Father. And it's taking care of us. We don't even have to fight. We just got to apprehend the person of Christ because Jesus is this garrison of peace that has been appointed to the duty of marching as a silent soldier around our, our, our mind, our heart, and our emotions to bring calm and peace to our lives. Colossians 3.15 says, let the, Christ of, what the, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. It means to be an umpire. What's an umpire do? You're going, you're going to do something safe. That's good. Out. No, don't go there. Don't do that. Don't let that happen. And as we walk with Jesus, that's what he does through the presence of his spirit walking in us. Some of us, we've made some terrible moral mistakes. But we still have God's spirit working in us. But we've become kind of an emotional wreck and, he's, um, and we feel this umpire, the Spirit of God saying, no, no, no more, don't. What do you got to do? When you sense that, when you know it, when you feel it, call a timeout. Push the pause button and remind yourself, God forgives. God loves you. That's the power of his word, but hear me. There's always a step that we get to take. What's the step? you got to confess it so you can take care of the emotional issue. And then you got to repent, which is simply going another direction and moving away from it. Because without that loved one, you'll never begin to experience the peace that he has for you, the shalom of his life. And the last one is the peace of, of God that's relational. you got to have peace with God. you got to have the peace of God. Here's the final action step for some of us. Maybe some of your peace has been shattered by a relational breakdown. Maybe somebody at work deceived you, took advantage of you. Somebody in your home betrayed you. You've just somewhere in your life recently by somebody that you didn't expect it to happen. You had the trust rug pulled out from underneath you. Call a timeout. Instead of catastrophizing and seeing the end of their life at your hands or whatever, stop. Say, I'm going to be a peacemaker. Say, God, I, I need you in this. 
Affirm your belief in prayer that God will give you the ability to experience reconciliation someday. But here, listen, there might be an action step that you've got to take that you're probably going to have to take. You know what? You may have to pick up the telephone. You may have to dial. You may have to walk into a colleague's office or take a colleague on the work site, the side, or stop by a neighbor's house on the way home and just say, can, can we talk about this? Can we work on this? Romans 12 says, so far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all people. I was thinking about this, checking the relational ledger of my life as I was working through this this week. And God just kind of does this. You know what he says? Yeah, there's this person. I want you to go talk to them. And I just saw them within the last two weeks. Didn't seem to be any problem, but I could understand where there could be. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to call them this week and set up a lunch or breakfast or some kind of appointment. And I'm going to go, I, you know something? I felt like the Lord just said to me, I need to take you out and make sure that there's no relational breach. Now, when I do that, you know what I'm going to do? I'm not going to go to them and say, you know, Bob, let me just tell you. You know, you did this, you did this, you did this, and I did this, and I said that. What do you think? No, 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 no. You go and you make peace by owning it. You don't talk about their part in it. You own yours. You say that's risky. <laughs> no kidding. It was pretty risky for Jesus, wasn't it? He did that too. He went to the cross for every human and most reject him. Oh, well. And here's the, here's, here's, here's the caveat. What, what, what can happen when you do that, loved ones, is this. You'll go, you'll sit down with them, and you'll say, I just need to own this part because I want to have peace to the best of my ability. You know what they might do? They might just start dumping on you. Well, it's about time you came. Let me just tell you why. And I've had this happen a number of times. That's why I'm very careful who I go to now because I, I just don't want people barfing on me. I, I want to make it right. And some people just figure that that's their right. I've had it happen, you know. I talked to somebody one time, and they go, well, let me list it for you. And so I, 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 I've learned how to do this through trial and error, and you'll still get hurt, but it's important to do it if God says it to you. And some of you today, um, maybe that's what you need to do as a next step. Do you have shalom? Do you have God's peace in your relationships? Because that's usually the first place it breaks down. I want us to have a church that experiences peace.